0: And Welcome to Deep Dive, brought to you by NATO's Defense Education Enhancement Program. I'm your host, Dr. Sajjan Gohel. Each episode, we speak to experts and practitioners in international security and defense, counterterrorism, and geopolitical current events to gain insight into the most pressing matters of global affairs. In this episode, we speak to Mitra Khutob, an independent researcher and commentator on Afghan politics who has worked with refugee and migrant organizations in the United Kingdom. We discussed the plight of Afghans, especially women under Taliban rule, and the impact that it is having within Afghanistan as well as the wider international security implications. Mitra Kutub, thank you very much for joining us on NATO Deep Dive.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: There are a lot of things happening right now in Afghanistan that perhaps don't get the attention that they need to. One thing in particular is the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan, or I should say the complete lack of any rights. The Taliban has reneged on its promises for women to be entitled to employment, for girls to be educated. Should we be surprised by this?
1: Um, well, uh, thank you. They. The Taliban's uh, restriction on women surprised many and didn't surprise another group. So it surprised the um, it, it did surprise uh, the activists uh, and diplomats and Afghanistan watchers and uh, and also who listened to the Taliban and who uh, trusted the Taliban's promises during the associations and the peace talk who said that they are going to, um, you know, they are going to uh, observe and respect women's rights, including their freedom of movement, their access to education, the access to employment, but it did not surprise one specific group, the women who were present and who left the first um, rule of Taliban from 1996 to, 90, to 2001, the women who suffered during the first rule of Taliban, they were expecting this to come back to them. And especially this was women of Afghanistan who had who had gone through the Taliban's um, restrictions on them, on their education, on their work, on their freedom of movement during the first rule of Taliban. And they were expecting this to happen.
0: If we look at the Taliban ideology, in itself, it seems to be a very misogynistic movement. So the fact that the Taliban are Mm anti-women, is that part of their ideology? Or is there another dynamic to the Taliban that perhaps some people don't understand?
1: Uh, I believe that the Taliban's religious ideology is a very fundamentalist and extremist interpretation of Sharia. And it is an ambiguous amalgamation of Islamic ideology. This is based on Diobandi's school. Diobandi's school is characterized by fundamentalist interpretations of uh, Islam, opposition to innovation and any injunctions against women outside the home. So they are against any meaningful participation of women in the society, including women's education, women, uh, women working outside, women's uh, appearance in the uh, in the public sphere, such as uh, women in the politics, women anywhere. I think this is the very fundamentalist ideology of Taliban, which leads to their misogynistic approach against women's rights in Afghanistan, and they have implemented these approaches since they came back to the power.
0: What worries me is that by taking away the rights of women in Afghanistan, by preventing girls from being educated, they are being deprived of their future, and ultimately they have no role. Now, one thing I've noticed in Afghanistan is that Many households are women-led. They are the breadwinners. If they are not allowed to work, women will effectively be destitute. They will be living in poverty. And perhaps the only means to earning anything is to beg. Is the situation uh, as concerning as that?
1: Yes, the situation is very concerning because of the, uh, the, the, during the past eight or nine months that the Taliban came back, got, became back to power, um, the uh, women they were working. They were uh, making a some good amount of workforce in Afghanistan. Their employment was okay. I cannot. I don't want to say that the women's situation before the Taliban were very was very ideal. It wasn't like that. But however, women were allowed to work, and the winners, they lost the jobs because after Taliban came to power, they uh, they uh, unemployed lots of women. They fired many women from work and. Uh, And the the country is going through uh, towards a um, um, a hunger crisis, acute hunger crisis, almost 90% of the population are starving. You can see many women. Uh, they are they are begging on the streets. It's not only it was it's not only women, but lots of men also lost their jobs. But it was not the, when men lost the jobs. It was not because they were fired from the from the work that they were doing, but because uh, the, the unemployment kind of raised and lots of projects, lots of um, uh, international fund, internationally funded projects or work uh, that people were working in the offices in the organizations. They they stopped working. In Afghanistan, so lots of people lost the job, and lots of people, including the women, were um, uh, fired from their jobs because the Taliban didn't want women to work. And you can see lots of uh, women who are begging on these streets just to provide some food on the table for their children because they don't have a man to work for them. And especially now that the Taliban banned women's participation and women's appearance in this in the society in the public sphere, um, the, the women even cannot go begging it's it's very it's such a very uh, upsetting situation in, Af- in in the country and especially for women uh, you know they they have they have kind of restricted they have closed all ways to women to work to study to to even to to, um, to beg for example in this situation
0: it's deeply tragic and painful what is now unfolding and what you're conveying only highlights just how dire the situation is. You mentioned this aspect about misogyny, and we know that the Taliban practice that. It seems to be part of their identity, their ideology. How much do you think the the role of misogyny plays in the rise of extremism? So, for example, when there was women's empowerment in Afghanistan, when there was a vibrant civil society, extremism to a degree was being contained. But if you start seeing the rise of misogyny, mm-hmm. do you also start seeing as well the rise of extremism of terrorist groups or radical groups emerging at the same time?
1: I believe that the the radical groups and uh, fundamentalist groups, they have this uh, thought in common and that is any opposition against women's meaningful uh, role and participation in the society. So this is what brings these groups all together and uh, they are inspired by each other. Uh, when it comes to women, they copy each other when it comes to women's rights and women's appearance outside the house. Um, but but I would like to say that the Taliban specifically, they are not educated in Islamic history and sharia. They are very poorly tutored in Islamic history and sharia. They, ha- they do not have a manifesto, an Islamic manifesto or any historical analysis which would ground their perspectives in islam so whatever the restrictions they are posing to women this is not uh, this is not based it does not have any basis in uh, islam that the people of afghanistan are following they are actually grounding their Mm, the, the arguments that we are doing this according to, to the Sharia, but 99% of the country are Muslim. They have always followed the Sharia. This is not the type of Sharia that people of Afghanistan know. This is not the type of Islam that people of Afghanistan are following. I believe that the, 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 this misogynistic approach of the Taliban against women's rights and their education and any participation outside the outside the house comes from their own very uh, old-fashioned, very, uh, uh, I would say, poor uh, ideology, which is against any participation of women outside.
0: You say that the uh, Taliban are poorly educated, and I think that's very apparent when you look at the fighters on the ground. They seem to be very surprised when they see the new Afghanistan, the Afghanistan that's been created over the last 20 years, They, for example, couldn't understand the new technology that was brought in, uh, the development of infrastructure. For them, this was all very new, which kind of shows you how sheltered their life has been. Where have these Taliban fighters been brought up? Uh, Could it be in some parts of Afghanistan, or is it more likely that they were being trained and educated in neighboring Pakistan?
1: Yeah. Yes, if if we go back to the uh, to history of how the taliban uh, emerged uh, we can go back to the civil war and the, the the war against the soviet unions in afghanistan during the 80s uh, they, they they were the group of clerics who were studying at pakistani madrasas the madrasas in the bordering afghanistan between pakistan and afghanistan they were they met each other there and they were funded by the some uh, some wealthy uh, Arab countries and at some points the Taliban managed to out all other jihad, mujahideen or, or jihadist groups who were fighting at the same time against the Soviet Union. So they, were, um, according to some research, they were more organized group. They had a, a horizontal ties and vertical ties with the, uh, you know, with their or with their own group and among the people. So they kind of managed to come to the power with the support of, of course, Pakistani ISI, the um, the uh, in, in some uh, wealthy Arab countries such as um, the Saudi Arabia. So this is the, the most of the fighters they have studied, they have been tutored in those madrasas, and the, uh, uh, they were they were being, you know, um, educated with a uh, very fundamentalist uh, Sharia uh, interpretation of Sharia such as the Diubandi uh, schools. They are running, they have, been, they have been running since years in these areas uh, of Afghan and in, in the, the bordering areas of Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, uh, they, they are coming from there because even we witnessed that most of them, they cannot even speak any of the languages spoken by the people of Afghanistan. They do not dress by the ordinary people of Afghanistan. They have not seen This uh, uh, women outside the house, I don't know, I mean, uh, the past 20 years, women had some achievements in Afghanistan, they could go out, they could work, they could dress normally, uh, according to the traditions of the Afghan society. But these fighters that came in the city, they, as if they, they have never seen normal human beings in their lives. So that's how they treated women uh, when they were not obeying them. They didn't know how to treat women, even the Taliban's uh, officials. They also admitted that their fighters are not educated on how to treat women. They are not, they don't know how to behave with women. And they even they even admitted that they are looking to educate their fighters, their members, to, to treat women. So that, but however, I find this a, a propagandist approach and a, a very, um, a something which they would, they wanted people to, to, to think that they have changed from the past 20 years. However, they have not changed at all. And they totally forgot about. Uh, about what they said for the fighters that they're going to educate them how to treat women. Uh, However, they even the leaders, the officials, they started posing more restrictions on women. They, they, They don't even care about what the world is saying about them, what the world wants from them in order to recognize them. Uh, so, uh, I mean, coming back to the point that where these fighters come from, I believe there have been uh, religious schools where they educate these young fighters from the very young age. Uh, they educate them with the very fundamentalist um, interpretations of Sharia, according to the Diubandi school that they believe in. They believe in jihad. They believe in making an Islamic emirate. And they are being educated with the Dubandi brand of Islam, which adheres to orthodox Islamism, and they insisting that the um, Sunni Islamic law or Sharia is the path of salvation, and they also insist on uh, on making Islamic practices uh, that they alive, which goes back to the um, uh, very. Um, first centuries that, or the seventh century, the time of the Prophet Muhammad and they also think that the notion of global jihad is a sacred duty uh, to protect Muslims. So these are the thoughts that they are grown up with and they also, um, this also leads to uh, uh, any uh, opposition to women's uh, presence outside the house and, uh, and any role for women outside the house. So this goes back to their own ideology again.
0: As you say, the Taliban have not changed. It's clear that Taliban 2.0 is effectively the same as Taliban 1.0. And if we recall the Taliban in their previous uh, rule in Afghanistan in the 1990s, they allowed Al Qaeda mm-hmm. and other uh, jihadist terrorist groups to operate inside Afghanistan and use the country as a launch pad for, for terrorism. Where does the Taliban stand today when it comes to al-Qaeda and other uh, terrorist groups? It's interesting that they have not condemned al-Qaeda as yet. And it's also interesting that you have people like Amin al-Haq, who was at one time bin Laden's bodyguard, returning to Afghanistan from Pakistan with a guard of honor from the Taliban. So it is very worrying what's taking place, but I'd be interested in your take as to where you think the relationship is between the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and other terrorist groups.
1: Um, As as you mentioned, they... Taliban have a very close tie with Al Qaeda. Even this led to their uh, overthrow from the power in 2001 because the Taliban provided safe haven for Al Qaeda, and uh, that and, and that led to Al Qaeda's attack to the uh, 9/11 attack um, in New York. Um, the Taliban still remain very much connected to Al Qaeda through the Haqqani network. Uh, for example, Surajuddin Haqqani, the, the the leader of the the Taliban, the yeah. I mean the deputy. Of the Minister of Interior of the Taliban, who is also leader of the um, Haqqani network, he published this op-ed on New York Times, and he uh, kind of uh, illustrated how interconnected these two groups are. Um, even if they, uh, I mean, they have ties; they have uh, inter, like family, they have even family relationships because. They are actually existing in the same region between the, the, the border of Afghanistan and, the Pax, and Pakistan, even if the Taliban uh, does not active, actively like permit use of um territory of Afghanistan for terrorist organizations or terrorist operations. Um, They they wouldn't even have the ability to deter terrorist groups from establishing their presence in the country. Um, Even if they deny, for example, that uh, they do not have any ties with al-Qaeda, but the Taliban also lack the capability to prevent any activities of terrorist groups in Afghanistan. We have seen them and uh, even their... uh, um, you know, the, the leadership's concern is nowadays mostly on how they should get recognized, how the fans should be released, but they also fail to provide security to the people and, you know, make, it, make the, the, bond, the, the borders secure. So I believe the tie still remains and they have not denied it, but however, they, they have illustrated that they have they are interconnected and they have links with this group.
0: It's interesting that you spoke about the Haqqani Network led by Sirajid Haqqani. So the Haqqani Network is an internationally prescribed terrorist group. It carried out some of the most deadly terrorist attacks in Afghanistan across the last 20 years. Sirajid Haqqani himself is a prescribed terrorist. Is he the most powerful person in Afghanistan? Are the decisions that are being made by the Taliban when it comes to security, education, the lives of Afghans. Are they all impacted by the decisions that Sirajdin Haqani makes?
1: I believe um, if we if we look at the uh, internal dynamics of the Taliban, we can uh, figure out two um, different groups uh, who um, who are saying that we are together, but then we have the Kandahari um, Taliban who um, is by you know the, uh, the Taliban, the Afghan Taliban, and then they have their affiliated Haqqani network. I believe they are um, they seem to be the same, but the, the dynamics and the, the some, some um, uh, disagreements in many of the decisions, uh, uh, they stem from the differences that these two groups showing as one, have with each other and they have some disagreements um uh, at some points the, the they, they the rivalry um inside like inside rivalries and competitions lead to um, lots of failures. For example, uh, we had in the news that uh, some Taliban members agree with the reopening of girls' high schools and some other Taliban members do not agree. On the other hand, we had statements from Haqqani's, uh, for example, yesterday was it yesterday or the other day? Anas Haqqani, the other a very um, uh, famous figure of Haqqani network he said that um after after the decree on hijab he said that um, let's let us not make people hate islam by imposing such uh decrees such as like covering your entire face and then he also said another statement that the taliban will uh, come up soon with a decision about reopening girls' uh, high schools. Uh, but at the same time, other uh, Taliban leaders, such as Mullah Baradar, he didn't say uh, anything about it. So it seems like half of these groups, half of them, they agree with something and the others don't agree. So they they have their own disagreements that might even um, uh, block some decisions. And this affects, it has implications on the lives of the ordinary people of Afghanistan.
0: It seems very um, paradoxical what's going on inside Afghanistan with these different Taliban factions that you mentioned. They have agreements, they have disagreements. It's unclear sometimes who is actually making decisions, whether those decisions are national or whether they are regional. It is interesting that there are those uh, divisions, fault lines that are emerging between some of those groups. uh, And... In addition, you do have a resistance movement that is showing signs of growth uh, known as the National Resistance Front, the NRF, which is predominantly based in the Pancher Valley. Talk to me about what's going on right now with the NRF. Are they making gains? Is this a movement that is uh, that can be taken seriously in terms of being able to... Uh, undermine the Taliban's domination of Afghanistan.
1: Um as we can see in the news that nowadays there are heavy fightings going on in some northern provinces of Afghanistan and these resistant resistance forces have uh, they have um, emerged since months, and they are uh, saying that they are fighting the Taliban. Uh, well, yes, the fightings are, are, are going on in, in Panjshir and in Arab and in Takhar and there, there are... Um, very um, grave human rights violations taking place in these cities. Um, the resistant groups are there; they are fighting the Taliban. But at the same time, the Taliban are taking the civilians of these provinces hostage. They have, uh, they, the the killing machine is. Um, Open the killing machine is going on. They are killing the normal civilians, um, stamping them as being member of the um, they the resistance forces. However, uh, they are profiling people of those uh, provinces, uh, and and they. Um, and in, in other cities, like in Kabul, they're looking for panchairs, they're looking for people from Baglan or Andarab, and people from Tachar, these northern provinces. Uh, uh, we can see that clashes are going on, some pro- some districts and some villages have fallen to the hands of the National Resistance Forces. Uh, the the resistance forces did not, even, it did not just remain restricted or limited to the northern provinces. We could see the rise of other resistance forces in other cities. In other provinces, such as in Nangrahar, such as in, uh, I think, in host provinces in the south and in the east. But we, I mean, the the, the more active. They are, are in the north of Afghanistan. Um, they, I'm just following their, their, their social media and their statements and the, that they there have been clashes, there have been casualties on both sides, and there have been some parts falling into the hands of the National Assistance Forces. We also read in the news and it was verified that it was confirmed that, um, that the TTP, the Pakistani Taliban, they have joined the Afghan Taliban in these provinces to fight the national the national assistance forces which creates such big concern for the people and for uh, uh, because we we are scared of lots of uh, you know the genocide is taking uh, uh, taking place of uh, uh, as you could see like there have been uh, mass killings in these provinces they they are taking the people hostage they are uh, detaining and they are taking the taliban or taking the men of the families in these provinces with them just um, allegedly being member of the um, National Resistance Forces. And uh, we do not have lots of coverage for this in the international media, unfortunately. Um, I believe that uh, th- this should be really spoken about.
0: Do you think that one of the problems is that because of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, that perhaps the West has got a little distracted with that uh, conflict and that the Taliban are taking advantage of it in the hope that these extrajudicial murders that you're talking about aren't getting the attention and the spotlight that perhaps they need to, and that the Taliban are quite savvy. They can see that the crisis in Ukraine is dominating the headlines and that they can carry out their systemic uh, detention, torture of Afghans in the hope that it will go under the radar and it won't get enough attention?
1: Uh, I believe so, uh, because since the Ukraine war started, the the world's attention kind of uh, changed to Ukraine instead of um, Afghanistan. I wouldn't say that the world shouldn't pay attention to Ukraine. I would like to say like an an equal attention to the situation in both countries. However, Ukraine is very closer to the European countries. uh, uh, But in Afghanistan, the war has been going on since uh, over like decades now. And uh, there are lots of atrocities taking place in Afghanistan that needs special attention. They, they, a terrorist group, a recognized terrorist organization, is. Um, is taking uh, the the 40 million people of Afghanistan as hostages to get recognised and to get the funds released. I believe that the international community needs to pay attention equally to Afghanistan as they do to Ukraine. Um, In Afghanistan, there are a very long list of human rights violations starting from women's rights and then going to the extrajudicial killings, forced disappearances, forced displacements of, of, of people who from the from non, for example, Hazara regions, Tajik regions, and the forced the, the disappearances of the former national security and defense members, uh, former Afghan government employees, disappearance of women protesters. There are some women who are still, we still don't know of where their whereabouts, the family or calling that the Taliban have uh, detained, they, 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 but they don't know where they are, and there is such a long list of uh, uh, human rights violations. I mean, this this group is taking forty million people of Afghanistan as hostage for their political gains, and they don't even now care what the world wants from them. They're just implementing their 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 barbaric rules on women and on the people of Afghanistan. They have in the their, their recent decree on covering women's, uh, women's women's faces, they have actually tried to take the domestic the violence into the houses of people. It gives the men of the family more uh, power to uh, kind of use violence against women because the man the man or the male guardian will be punished on behalf of the woman if she doesn't cover her face. So if, if we think that the violence in Afghanistan it starts from the home and It gets bigger when you go out of the home. I believe, um, just going back to the um, Ukraine, I believe that the world and international community must pay the same attention that they are paying to Ukraine. It's not only the war and human rights violations uh, that the world has forgotten about in Afghanistan, but it's also about the Afghan refugees and the evacuees outside the country. Since the war in Ukraine started, all attention was paid to the Ukrainian refugees, and they forgot about Afghan refugees or who were evacuated from the country. Um, So I think there should be an equal uh, treatment of both groups. So it's
0: an important point that you raised about not forgetting the Afghans and the Afghan refugees uh, as well. And you've painted a very stark situation as to the human rights abuses that the Taliban are carrying out. Two things I'd like to connect to that. One of the communities that has been really badly affected by the return of the Taliban has been the Hazaras, who are the, the Shia community inside uh, Afghanistan. And they've not just faced uh, mistreatment by the Taliban, but also by the ISIS affiliate known as ISKP.
1: Yeah.
0: My question is that people, some people say that ISKP is the enemy of the Taliban, and then there are others that say, that actually it's much more murkier and that on occasions ISKP works with the Taliban, especially the Haqqani network. Could you talk more about how the Hazaras have suffered since the Taliban returned? And also perhaps if you could connect it to the role of the Taliban and ISKP as well.
1: Um, I believe that Hazaras and ha- and the Shia com- Hazaras are the ethnic group and they follow the Shia sect of Islam. Um, they have always been a target by uh, fundamentalist or extremist Sunni terrorist organizations. ISKP uh, started these activities according to the reports in 2015, and the main, the main target of them were the Hazara communities in Afghanistan. We witnessed Lots of terrorist attacks against Hazara community by the ISKP in Afghanistan, mostly that the ISKP is taking responsibility for. For example, they attack again uh, in, in the mosques in Kandahar, in Kunduz, and um, other provinces, and in Mazar, in Kabul. They, the ISKP carried out all these attacks. ISKP has um, emerged as a rival to the Taliban. However, we don't know if they have ties behind the scenes or not. Uh, But their major uh, targets are the Hazara and Shia communities of Afghanistan. Because of their ideology, again, they deem that these groups are infidels and they should be vanished. Um, this leads to Hazara genocide and the Taliban, even the previous government failed to secure the lives of the Hazara people in Afghanistan. This systematic discrimination and systematic killing of Hazara community in Afghanistan has been going on since years and now that the Taliban came back to the power um, the Hazaras are not safe at all at their schools and the mosques and their educational institutions. They have been they have lost the jobs, they have been fired from their um, jo- uh, from the where they were working and others have been um, you know the people whom Tal- uh, the, the affiliated members of the Taliban have been have replaced them so uh, the, this group is facing a particular discrimination and systematic discrimination uh, since years in Afghanistan, um, however, they have been targeted, since the Taliban took over. They um, uh, have been target of the attacks by ISKP. They have before the Taliban been target of the attacks and by ISKP. For example, the attacks, uh, they their hospitals, their babies were killed. The hospitals got attacked. The schools got attacked uh, many times, and ISKP took responsibility for carrying out all these um, terrorist. Uh, um, Uh, terrorist attacks, Uh, we we still don't know if these, if the Taliban and ISKP are, uh, you know, uh, together in this, Or, But however, their ideology, um, I believe both are extremist and fundamentalist. They are, uh, if the Ubandi school of thought is an extremist ideology and they have, uh, um, and they do not accept the Shia uh, sect of Islam, however, uh, I, I think in this one they have something in common.
0: Indeed, it's interesting that the uh, ISKP, they do seem to carry out attacks against the Kandahari Taliban, and yet they have never carried out an attack against the Haqqani network, which often makes you wonder just how murky the relationship and, and the nexus of these uh, entities are. So, one other thing that I want to touch upon, which you raised earlier, which I thought was very interesting, is this role of the TTP, the Tariqi Taliban Pakistan also known as the Pakistan Taliban. You mentioned how they're working together with the Afghan Taliban. Why this is important is that the former government of Imran Khan, they used to say that if the Taliban returned to power, then it would provide greater security for Pakistan and Mm -hmm. that the TTP would not be uh, able to operate. Whereas, in fact, we've seen the complete opposite the TTP are not only operating, but they are increasing their operations and they are growing. Was Pakistan naive in assuming that the TTP would come under control if the Afghan Taliban returned to power in Afghanistan? Um,
1: TTP is in... uh, I also... uh, Thought like many people thought that the, the the Pakistani government by supporting the Afghan Taliban will create a um, kind of a, a, a rival a group that would fight the TTP. However, we 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 see that the TTP has joined the Afghan Taliban, who were long for years been rivals and competitors and uh, two two terrorist groups. Um, I wouldn't exactly say that the Pakistan government was very weak in understanding this and thinking that supporting Afghan Taliban would um, would help them vanish the TTP. But the Pakistani government in many ways managed to take control of Afghanistan and its um, affairs by supporting the Taliban coming back to the power by providing them safe havens for many years in 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 its territories. Um, However um, I I think now the the, day TTP and Afghan Taliban coming together they have become a new challenge to the Pakistani government as we could see the airstrikes carried out by the Pakistani For air forces in in, in host province and Kunar province, uh, that they they claim that they have uh, uh, targeted the TTP bases in these uh, city in these provinces uh, was a is was one of the signs that the Pakistani government uh, felt insecure about it about thinking that the Pakistani uh, the Pakistani Taliban and the Afghan Taliban would make a good good allies against the Pakistani government but however i don't think that would be the case uh, because the pakistani Af- uh, the afghan taliban are more um um, affected by the, or, or they're under somehow they they are more affected by the Pakistan uh, government and the ISI. We could see it from the very beginning when the Taliban came to power, the head of the ISI came to Afghanistan and visited them and uh, without the support of Pakistan, I wouldn't believe that the Taliban of Afghanistan would uh, uh, really uh, survive.
0: Well, it's an important point that you've helped to clarify. One of Final question, Mitra, is just for our listeners, could you also explain your own connection to Afghanistan and the work that you're now doing to help Afghans? And also, if you could perhaps provide some perspective on what more others can do to help the Afghan people during this very difficult time.
1: Um, I was born and grown up in Afghanistan, and uh, I was very young during the first rule of Taliban from 96 to 2001. That's why I said in the beginning that people like me were not very much surprised by coming back of the Taliban and, and did not really believe that the Taliban have changed while they have not changed. We were expecting people like me, my mother... That we were expecting such thing would happen uh, because uh, th- th- this connection is—it's you know my connection with the, with the um, uh, how the Taliban ruled in Afghanistan is very old because I was very young and I was witnessing how they're oppressing women. Um, I was I am actually determined to raise awareness and uh, um, if I'm not inside the country to fight and raise awareness about the situation of women in Afghanistan outside the country, or at least advocate um, for the rights of the people for human rights, I am now a reporter. for an international broadcasting tv uh, i cover mostly women's um, i mean the reports about women's situation the human rights situation and uh, i report and write about the women's rights and the situation of women restrictions posed to them Um, i believe that my networks in in the uk and in europe hopefully uh, and, and get my message and get my uh, get, get the situation of afghan of, of women in afghanistan and i expect them to raise awareness as well so what we can do outside the country is to raise awareness to write a lot about the situation in afghanistan and the human rights crisis the women's rights crisis in afghanistan this is what i would expect from my international friends and afghans in diaspora um, that you can you can just write if you are not fighting inside the country if you if, I mean if I'm not there and if I cannot go back there, at least I could just um, write about them and uh, spread the word, uh, advocate uh, whenever wherever possible for the rights of women in Afghanistan and hopefully hopefully make a network of people who would pressurize um, the policymakers. In the UK, in Europe and like in a bigger context, the international community to put pressure on the Taliban to bring changes and to make the improvements in the situation of people and especially people, women in Afghanistan, the minorities. However, this is less probable that the Taliban would change. Uh, or even especially after the last hijab decree that they um, issued um, that the world actually cut off its hope to the taliban and the taliban also uh, didn't care <laughs> um so that coming back to my point all what i would like to say is that if we are outside the country all what we can do, is to talk about it, raise awareness, let's not forget Afghanistan. Um, I know we have the war in Ukraine, but let's not forget the people of Afghanistan as well.
0: You've been very impassioned about the rights of Afghans, the rights of women, it will certainly resonate. And we wish you the very best in your endeavors uh, and most grateful that you've been able to spend the time in providing your primary perspectives on Afghanistan. And it's just a reminder how the world must not forget what's going on inside that country, because what happens in Afghanistan doesn't just stay in Afghanistan. It has much wider global ramifications. And Mitra Khutub, thank you so much for joining us on NATO Deep Dive, and we hope to have you back again in the future.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dive. I'm your host, Dr. Sajjan Gohel. Deep Dive is brought to you by NATO's Defense Education Enhancement Program. The production and research team are Marcus Andriopoulos and Victoria Jones. For additional content, including full transcripts of each episode, please visit deepportal.hq.nato.int forward slash deepdive. Please note, that the views, information, or opinions expressed in the Deep Dive series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of NATO or DEEP.